0: You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, April 26, 2022. I'm Cutta Babcock.
1: And I'm Ellie Shannon.
0: And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with updates on CSU's partnership with a woman-owned consulting firm.
0: Then, Ellie Shannon covers local news with details on the newly implemented Fort Collins plastic bag ban.
1: Then, Coda Babcock goes over new updates in COVID-19, statistics, and policies, and I speak with Madeline Boysom from the Gregory Alacar Museum of Art about their open house Wednesday evening.
0: Then, I go over information on the reopening of the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, Ukraine, and explain how wildfires are ravaging New Mexico.
1: After that, we hear from the Runners of FOCO podcast about the recent Tooth Half Marathon, and I go over what you missed
0: at the Fort Collins Music Experience. Eliza Droder goes over updates in CSU sports, including details on track and field.
1: To conclude today's show, I explain updates on technology with information on Biden's administration calling for Congress's help letting more law enforcement agencies access drone systems. Let's move right into campus and local news.
2: This is Kira McKinley reporting your campus news for Thursday, April 21st. Yesterday, Patrick Cartier, a Division II All-American basketball player, committed to Colorado State University's men's basketball team. Cartier will be at CSU for two years for graduate school. For more on CSU sports, listen to Eliza Jordan's sports updates. CSU has partnered with Innovative Connections, an all-women-owned consulting firm. This firm aims to, quote, This firm aims to, quote, Use a data-driven approach to help drive organizations and leaders towards creating a successful, healthy, and productive working environment, according to Isabella Brown of The Collegian. CSU will assist the firm in its research and emotional intelligence. During ASCSU's 26th session last week, they passed a bill called Supporting the Bike Security Package. This bill provides free U-locks for CSU students and installs a camera outside of the engineering building, according to Piper Russell of the Collegian. This bill requires over $14,000 in funding from the Senate Discretionary Fund and was passed during the most recent session. The CSU Concert Choir will be having a concert this Friday at 7 p.m. at the First Methodist Church. They will be joined by the First Methodist Church Choir, and both choirs will sing alongside an organ. Thank
1: you for listening to my CSU Campus News Updates. I'm Kira McKinley, now on the local news. This is Ellie Shannon with your local news. Today on April 26, the Loveland Chamber of Commerce plans to host a ribbon cutting at Points West Community Bank's new Loveland location. Mark Braze, CEO of Points West Community Bank, will be addressing an audience about the new location and other details. The event begins at 4 and is taking place until 5.30 this evening. Starting on May 1st, a plastic bag ban is going into effect in Fort Collins. The new policy is the result of a 2021 voter-approved ballot measure. The ban means that plastic bags will no longer be offered at any grocery stores in Fort Collins city limits. Nineteen grocery stores, including Walmarts, Targets, Safeways, and smaller grocers, will now serve paper bags with a ten-cent fee. The ban doesn't apply to trash bags or bags for bulk items, and anyone that participates in a local, state, or federal income-qualified government assistance program will be exempt from the ten-cent fee. The city is splitting the bag proceeds with grocers 60-40, with the city getting the larger portion. The $0.06 per bag the city is getting is meant to cover the cost of program implementation, including consumer education and distribution of free reusable bags. The grocers are expected to spend their $0.04 share on signage, employee training, and promotion of reusable bags. After a years-long case, Susan Holmes has been convicted of lying on a red-flag petition. Holmes's son, Jeremy Holmes, died in a shooting involving a Colorado State University police officer in 2017. Holmes called police, reporting that her son was suicidal and that he had left her home with a knife, which he intended to use to kill his brother and sister-in-law, who lived on CSU's campus. When officers confronted Jeremy, he told them to kill him several times. Holmes ended up filing a red-flag petition against the CSU officer— which petitions to take away a person's firearms. When Holmes filed the petition, she marked that she was a family member or household member of the officer. Holmes was arrested in 2020 during a live stream, and a jury eventually agreed Holmes knowingly lied on the petition and tried to influence a public servant. Holmes will be sentenced in June. That's all for your local news. Thanks for listening in on the Rocky Mountain Review. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. I'm Ellie Shannon on KCSU on 90.5 FM, and we'll be right back.
3: This is your captain, DJ Knox, speaking. Our flight into Culture Hours boarding this Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m., where we will fly all over the world and explore new music.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of campus and local news with Kira McKinley and Ellie Shannon, check out our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen back. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports over 8,300 COVID-19 cases since reporting began in May 2020. Seven new cases were reported yesterday among students, with one new case reported among staff and faculty at CSU. Masks are no longer required on CSU's Fort Collins campus with the exceptions of some buildings, like the CSU Health Network. Larimer County reports low COVID-19 community transmission levels, along with almost 81,000 COVID-19 cases and 485 deaths. The county's 7-day case rate is around 138 cases per 100,000 residents, based on data reported this morning. 7% of tests administered in Larimer County came back positive in the past week, and new COVID-19 hospital admissions remain low. COVID-19 patients take up 1% of local inpatient hospital beds. The state of Colorado reports over 1.3 million cases of COVID-19, along with over 13,000 deaths. 4.8 million people have been tested in Colorado, with overall hospitalizations at around 62,000. 10.6 million vaccines have been administered in the state, and over 4 million Coloradans are fully vaccinated. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report over 80.8 million cases of COVID-19 and over 987,000 deaths nationally. Over 82% of the eligible U.S. population is at least partially vaccinated against COVID-19. Cases are beginning to go down nationally, while deaths are steadily increasing. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the CDC. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine information and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university.
1: The Gregory Alacar Museum of Art invites the Colorado community to Communities in Common, an evening at the Gregory Alacar Museum of Art. Tomorrow, on Wednesday, April 27th, the museum will hold an after-hours open house with light refreshments, exhibits, and other opportunities to learn about Colorado State University's Art Museum. Today I am joined by Madeline Boysum, the Communications Director for the Gregory Alacar Museum of Art. Thank you so much for joining me today, Madeline. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And I was curious about why this event is happening and what the purpose of this open house is.
4: Well, it's actually a unique event. We were approached by a student named Justin Burry in the LEAP 650 Arts Events Management class. LEAP is the Leadership Entrepreneurship Arts Advocacy and the Public Institution for the Arts, which is all about arts management. And this is actually a sort of capstone project for that class. And so it's really student run, student led, and we are just happy to host it.
1: And why is the art museum important to CSU's community and the Fort Collins community?
4: That's a great question. I always like to think of the Gregory Alucard as being your museum my museum, everyone's museum Um, because the collection belongs to Colorado State University and because CSU is a land-grant institution that means our collection belongs to everyone. So it is in essence your museum. So it's an integral part of the campus not only because of the collection but also because of events like this where students get to interact with and be involved with the collection, with the visitors, with events planning, and so much more.
1: What time will the open house be starting and what should visitors expect?
4: The open house will be starting at 5 p.m. and it will go to 7.30 p.m. tomorrow, April 27. And visitors should be prepared for a chance to see the current exhibitions and to talk with some museum staff and Justin who organized the event and just get a sense for what the museum is about. This is an introduction. This is the very beginning of this relationship that we hope that people will have with the institution
1: and with our collection. And how large is the gallery space?
4: We have more than 5,000 works of art in more than 10,000 square feet of gallery space. And that's augmented by teaching facilities and an additional four thousand square feet of state of the art collection storage and exhibition preparation
1: spaces. Wow, that's very big. What kind of ex- exhibitions will be featured at the open house?
4: Well, we've always got our permanent collection galleries, which are the Hartford Tansted, um, which cover art from around the world, uh, as well as our African collection galleries. But we have some current exhibitions. These these are temporary, so they won't be up forever. Um, The first is Black Art at CSU, Building a Presence, which was organized in partnership with CSU's Black African American Cultural Center and also the ACT Human Rights Film Festival. Um, Another exhibition is Dead and Lost in Detroit, A graphic novel by Carl Wilson, which was curated by Mary Crow, an emeritus professor of English at CSU and a former poet laureate of the state of Colorado, I believe for 14 years. And then also Survivance, which was actually curated by students in another class, Art 317, which is Native North American art history under the guidance of Emily Moore, who is an associate professor of art history and an associate curator of
1: American art at the museum. How does the open house encourage the local community to interact with art?
4: That's also a great question. I would say it comes down to awareness. Sometimes museums can be hidden spaces or or places that feel like if you don't have a background in art or art history that they are not available to you. So something, an event like this is something that opens up the museum to everyone, reminds everyone that we, we do exist for the entire community, whether you know anything about art or not. And in many cases, you don't need to know anything about art. That's the beauty of it. You can simply come to the space keep an open mind,
1: see what you see, and get to interact with what feels most important to you. How does programming at the Art Museum support CSU students in developing as professionals?
4: It supports in so many ways. I mean, from this event itself proves that events programming, students can be involved in learning how to create, uh, plan, host, uh, execute events for art spaces. Survivance is a great example of how students uh, get a chance to curate. I remember when I was in my undergrad, I never got a chance to curate an exhibition, and that is such a unique opportunity for students who are in art classes. But also, it offers a space for people who are not, uh, students who are not in the arts departments to get a job uh, working at the front desk, being a museum attendant, getting to see the front of house of a cultural institution more generally. And we always offer personal and one-on-one experiences with the collection and um, our staff are always more than willing to talk about what we do and how we do it. And the options are, and opportunities are really endless. We we exist here for the CSU community, for the Fort Collins community, for the Colorado community. How long do
1: exhibitions usually stay up for?
4: can depend, actually. Uh, It depends on where the material has come from, if it's been drawn from our institutional collections, or if it's a traveling exhibition, or all of the artwork is on loan from somewhere else. So usually it's for at least a few months. I think that the student exhibition, let's see, the the MFA thesis exhibition for 2022 will be up for a total of three months. And that's, I think, pretty standard for our temporary exhibitions.
1: During the rest of the year, what types of services does the Gregory Alacar Museum of Art offer?
4: Well, we always offer current exhibitions, whether they are temporary or part of our permanent collection. I know that we have a few internship opportunities. Students can also be involved in front of house visitor services, like working at the front desk. But then we also have um, extensive programming that covers everything from Javanese ballet and gamelan music to other music in the galleries that's performed by professors at CSU, to we've had yoga in the museum, have visiting artist talks. We have all sorts of events and programs that happen throughout the year, and we're always looking to diversify those and expand what it is that we bring to
1: the public. And do people have to register for any of these upcoming events happening?
4: Sometimes registration is required just because we have limited space. So for something like music in the museum or yoga in the museum, we request that people do register, but everything is always free and open to all.
1: How will this event allow for more people to learn about Colorado State University's art museum?
4: I think the the time, uh, the fact that it's an after hours open house, will will mean that more people can stop by after work or school, and not feel like they have to miss out on anything in the middle of their day. And I I hope that people see it as an opportunity to just see what the museum is about. To to just come in and get a glimpse at, at what we do and who we are and to maybe ask questions and to know that this is a, an extremely open space, a welcoming space, uh, where, where everyone is always welcome.
1: Finally, who has been helping organize this event and why are they important to this open house? And I know you mentioned Justin a little bit, but are there any other names that we should hear about? Definitely.
4: Definitely. Well, Justin, for sure, because he has spearheaded the whole project, been involved in all of the the planning stages, but of course, our visitor services manager, Teresa McLaren, um, and then also our director and chief curator, Lynn Boland, and then all of our our visitor services attendants, museum attendants. I'm relatively new to the museum, so I don't know everybody by name, but we also want to thank them. So it really is a community effort.
1: Of course. And is there anything else you'd like to add? You're welcome.
4: No matter if you know something about art or not, if you've ever been to the museum or not, this is a place for you. So we hope to see you.
1: Thank you again for joining me today for this interview.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, Ellie.
1: And as I said earlier, the Gregory Alakar Museum of Art Open House will be happening tomorrow wednesday april 27th at 5 p.m make sure to stop by and we'll be right back
3: It's D.J. Outer Control. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Koda Babcock for KCSU News, and you're listening to National News for Tuesday. New Mexico is in a state of emergency due to wildfires burning in almost half of the state's counties. The Associated Press reports that New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grissom signed the declaration of emergency as over a dozen wildfires burned through the state. One fire started on April 6th and merged with another fire over the weekend to create the most widespread wildfire in New Mexico. The fire was about 84 square miles in the area, and on Sunday, it was just 12% contained. Fires in the state are partially being fueled by heavy winds, with one fire charring over 80 square miles by Sunday. Some of the winds began to slow down over the weekend, but containing fires was still a challenge, with damage counts unclear because the wildfires' areas are too dangerous for crews to enter. New Mexico is waiting on support from the government to help manage the fire and maintain public safety. The Supreme Court is considering the case of a football coach who was fired for praying on the football field. Nina Totenberg from National Public Radio reports that Joseph Kennedy brought his case to the High Court Monday after the football coach from Bremerton, Washington was removed from his position for praying on the field before high school football games. While the coach originally did group prayers, which were open to members from either teams before games, he moved to do them alone after a superintendent and athletic director ordered coaching staff to stop the practice. Kennedy previously did prayers in the locker rooms, but after the order, he went out to do it in the field alone, when crowds were not present to pray on the 50-yard line. Kennedy felt uncomfortable having to move his prayer away from students, Kennedy, who served as a Marine, told NPR, quote, I fought and defended the Constitution in the thought of leaving the field of battle where the guys played and having to go and hide my faith because it was uncomfortable to somebody. That's just not America, quote. In response to his on-field prayers, Satanists unsuccessfully tried to lead their own prayer on the field, and head coach Nathan Gillum said he feared for his life as a result of the backlash to Kennedy's situation. Kennedy sued the school district for violating his First Amendment rights and removing him from his position, and is hoping the conservative-majority Supreme Court is going to side with him this week. Melissa Lucio, who is scheduled to face the death penalty this week, has temporarily been protected from the ex- from execution by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Lucio was charged with the murder of her two-year-old daughter Mariah, who her and her children told police died after falling down the stairs. The court ruled that Lucio's trial had several issues— and that her case needs further consideration before they will put her to death. In a statement, Lucio thanked the appeals court for saving her life and giving her the chance to prove her innocence. While detectives and an autopsy report said two-year-old Mariah died from wounds caused by child abuse, new evidence said that Mariah's bruises matched with Lucio and her children's reports that the girl had fallen down the stairs, leading to a brain injury resulting in death. At the appeals court, Lucio's defense team argued that there were nine legal issues in the original trial. Her lawyers argue that the state, quote, suppressed favorable material evidence in violation of Brady versus Maryland, end quote. Lucio is also coerced into confessing with an over five-hour interrogation prior to the trial. The United States announced plans to reopen the U.S. embassy in Kyiv, Ukraine, Monday. Pavel Polityuk and Natalia Zinets from Reuters report that the reopening will increase military aid to Ukraine from the U.S., the reopening of the Kiev embassy and recent travel to Ukraine's capital by U.S. officials is being used to prove that Russia is failing in their war to take over Ukraine. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, quote, What you've done in repelling the Russians in the Battle of Kiev is extraordinary and inspiring, quite frankly, to the rest of the world. We are here to support you in any way possible, end quote. Recently, Russian military forces pulled back from Kyiv and the surrounding area due to heavy Ukrainian resistance. Russian forces so far have not captured a single major city in Ukraine. Austin and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken pledged over $700 million to assist countries under threat by the Russian military. That's all for national news. I'm Cutta Babcock for KCSU News. And now we're going to hear some highlights from the Runners of FOCO podcast.
5: Today, we're going to be talking about the Horsetooth Half Marathon, which happened last Saturday, April
6: 10th. So Corey and I both participated in this race and had a really good time. So we wanted to share our experience of the race, share other people's experience of the race, talk about results, and just overall give you a feel for what was happening that yeah. day.
5: Yeah, we want to give you guys the inside scoop on this race. Um, whether you did it or you've never done it before, hopefully at the end of this podcast, you have a good understanding of what this race is all about.
6: As you've probably heard in our previous podcast, it is kind of the Fort Collins half marathon. If you run in Fort Collins, perhaps even if you just live in Fort Collins, you know that horse tooth half marathon is a big celebration of running and just life in Fort Collins. So we're really excited to share with y'all. We're going to start with sharing the results. On the men's side, we had a very exciting race. So Dominic Courier from Colorado Springs got first place and broke the course record with a time of one hour, six minutes, and 51 seconds. Very close in second place was Tyler McCandless, from Fort Collins, and he was only eight seconds behind. So that men's race must have been a nail-biter at those final moments.
5: And then on the women's side of things, there is an exciting race as well. Elizabeth Lagoy from Salt Lake City won the race with a time of 1 hour, 20 minutes, and 2 seconds. And Sophie Anders from Front Range Elite, who we interviewed, you can check that out in our last episode. She had an amazing race and came in second behind Elizabeth with a time of 1 hour, 20 minutes, and 32 seconds, so also close behind. And right on Sophie Anders' heels was Sophie Seward, who is another local Fort Collins runner. Who runs with sophie on front range elite so really great job you guys
6: yeah i was really impressed with the showing this year the Tooth half has you know it has a net downhill so it's not a terrible course but also that first bit is very hilly and as you'll soon hear from various anecdotes it was a very windy day so i am very impressed with how people really showed up and competed at this race
5: tatum and i showed up to the start of the race on sunday morning i think we got there like an hour before or something And we started doing our warm-ups. It was really fun watching everyone trickle in. I think around 2,000 people participated in this race. So it was quite a crowd. There were maybe 100 porta-potties, like more porta-potties than I've ever seen in my life.
6: Yeah, it was really fun just seeing the people congregate on that road that leads up to the reservoir. So many porta-potties. It had been a while, but I feel like waiting in line at a porta-potty is a classic pre-race experience. So that definitely got the nerve setting in for me, at least.
5: Yeah, and it was really great just to be surrounded by people who are going to come out and run 13.1 miles, a half marathon that day. So from a previous Olympian to a group of friends, a mom pushing a stroller, like everyone from all walks of life in Fort Collins was out excited to run this race. It was just I thought there was really great energy the race starts at the bottom of Tooth Reservoir, and the first 1.8 miles is just a climb to the top of what the race dubs Monster Mountain, which is just over 500 feet up from the starting line. So it's just a brutal first two miles. There's really no warm-up. There's no easing into this race. It's just immediate pain. And on Sunday, when the race happened, there was about like 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts maybe more. It felt like more at times. It really hits you in the face because down by the start, there was some protection and it honestly was kind of hot. Tatum and I came layered up, but we both ended up running in like tank tops. But as soon as you got started in this race, you kind of come around this turn and the wind was just blasting at that turn. And Mentally, in that moment, I was like, this is going to be hard. I started feeling pretty fatigued and uh, disheartened when I felt the gust of the wind. And I'd just come up the first part of the hill, but still the second part of the hill to go. I was breathing really heavy. And I just couldn't believe that after this, I would still have to run like 12 more miles. And so I'll admit, I walked up the second half of the hill. I was like, you know what, Corey, this is supposed to be fun. Like, if you want to walk, just go for it. So I walked some. Wasn't feeling great. I also had terrible cramps come on like as soon as we started the race. So it was a mix up of some like pretty bad factors. But I got to the top of Monster Mountain kind of walking slash jogging and crossing that line felt like overcoming like a pretty big barrier my partner Preston was waiting at the top and he was cheering and then he ended up giving me his jacket and I felt very encouraged by that and was like, okay, I can do this. And then you, you go into a downhill, which was also really encouraging. And so I kind of just sucked it up and mentally I was actually, I was thinking about this Instagram post from one of my favorite professional runners, Alexi Papas. Um, she recently ran an ultra relay from LA to Las Vegas. And she doesn't, she's just recently been getting into ultras. Um, She has competed in shorter distances and competed in the Olympics and the 10K. In her Instagram post, she explained that at the beginning of the race, she had really bad period cramps. And, you know, she had to sit down and squat. And I mean, (laughs) I think a lot of runners maybe listening to this have had this experience before, but she would have, She had to stop in the middle of her run and just squat on the side of the trail and, you know, relieve herself. So things started out bad for her and her teammates encouraged her and said, you know, in these long races, like so much can happen and things can turn around. And so I was thinking about that and how, you know, the first two miles and that hill, I really didn't take it the way I wanted to. And I didn't hit the time I wanted to. But I was thinking about redemption and how much more of the race I had left and how I could just lean into it and still really enjoy and be present for every mile that came from then. And that was a really cool experience. It's also the way the race course is kind of set up. Once you overcome those hills, you get some downhill. And then by around mile six, you're turning on to the pooter and it's flat and the wind wasn't in our face anymore. And I really felt like the end of that race was redeeming for me. I started to feel lighter and faster and also like start to enjoy myself a little bit. Yay.
6: That's awesome. I feel like one thing that I took into this race from our more recent trail running experience was that that mental toughness. I'm not sure that staying strong and staying committed and like you are saying, Corey, like recommitting to a run. I'm not convinced that in my pre-trail running days that was something that I had to practice because Mm -hmm. I wasn't running more than three miles so it's really cool to see our trail running training kind of reflect in how we experience this race
5: yeah I really like what you said about recommitting I think that in these longer races um you have the opportunity you know every every mile every moment to recommit to the race and and just to continue to push yourself and lean into that experience
6: yeah yeah that's awesome it's cool how you can like I was really inspired by how you had such a hard beginning but still came in at like a pretty good time and still were able to finish strong and pick yourself back up
5: oh thank you Tatum was there cheering me on at the finish um because she had gotten there a few minutes earlier and hit a really awesome goal time so what was your experience like Tatum and particularly on those hills how did you feel
6: yeah I kind of hinted to it earlier but I was honestly really proud of myself and how I could take my trail running, my recent trail running training into this run. The hills were brutal and the wind was brutal, but I like just kind of put my head down and got it done. You know, I wasn't running crazy times, but I just told myself that like, all right. I know I have the like power to get up these and I felt like having forced myself to train in all sorts of crazy elements over this past winter, I was able to just suck it up and get it done, which felt really gratifying and yeah, like Corey said, you know, you hit miles six and a half, and I think you have pretty much one more hill after that point. And I was pretty exhausted, but there were these, like, two men nearby me who were encouraging each other. Blue shorts. Blue shorts. This man in these blue shorts was in the back of all my race photos making the funniest <laughs> gestures. But I want to be his friend because he was cracking me up in the back of all of my race photos. <laughs> but yeah, this man making all these funny gestures... Him and someone else were talking about, you know, how the pacer, Horsetooth Half, has people who run certain paces if you have a goal time you want to hit. So kind of rounding up that final hill, I was probably a minute behind the pacer for uh, the hour 40 minute mark. And these two men were just encouraging each other. And eventually I kind of chimed in with the conversation that like, all right, he's a minute ahead, but like he's going to hold pace no matter what. And we can have a second wind, you know, with the tailwind and with these hills behind us. So that was really encouraging for me feeling tired and knowing that I was only halfway through the race. It was really encouraging to hear people in the same boat as me talk about how doable it was to hit their goals. So that was really nice. I'm a big fan of listening in on other people's conversations with each other, like the motivating ones and listening to people cheering for each other and using that for yourself. That's kind of the beauty of big races.
5: That's awesome. It's so cool how that kind of community formed like in the middle of the race. Yeah. I also loved the pacers during the race. I came up on a pacer for what my goal time and I was so hyped to see her and she was hyped to see me you know like she had the sign and she saw me come in and like matching pace with her and then passing her. And she was just like, woo, yeah. And I was like, yes. And yeah, it's so nice. Like you can really harness that energy um, Mm -hmm. and encouragement from other people and it helps you get to the finish line. Yeah.
6: I remember so clearly reaching the finish line, you know, and the pacer kind of peeled off and I was right behind him. And I just, yeah, having him there. I'm a fun fact about me. I usually am (laughs) awful with finishing races. I'm not very speedy gal. So Really, I think that man being in front of me was the only reason I could actually sprint towards the finish line at this race. (laughs) Um, Normally not my strong suit. And it was really fun. You know, some of those men that I kind of joined in on their encouragement. One of them was there and also said he squeaked under the 140 mark by a few seconds. So it was fun to like celebrate that with him afterwards as well.
5: That's so nice. I also thought the, the aid stations were really great. There were a lot of them, Mm -hmm. and they had water and snacks. I opted out of most of them because I was worried that if I stopped, I wouldn't be able to start (laughs) going again. Um, And then finally, I think just like with maybe four miles to go or something, I was like, okay, I could really benefit from some water. And so there are people at the aid station who would have water, you know, and little plastic cups, and they're like holding them out, and you can just kind of grab them. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to grab a water and I'm going in for it, but I don't slow down enough. And instead of grabbing it, I just slap it out of the man's hand (laughs) and I didn't turn back. I just kept going. (laughs) So if if that was you, I sincerely apologize. Thank you for your kindness.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I remember getting some of those plastic water cups. And I turned into an animal drinking those. (laughs) I would take them and I didn't want to, you know, throw them on the ground. I didn't want to like, I don't know. Anyway, I would take the water cups and I would gulp down as much as I could. But if I was nearing the trash can, I would just splash that all over my face. And I was like, this is how it has to be. I wasn't overheating. I don't know why I did what I did. but (laughs) I thought it was the only way.
5: There's a whole different race logic that is totally outside of normal logic. I would love to hear. I need advice for how to handle these aid stations. I haven't done many road races, and I'm just not sure what you're supposed to do with them. Like, do people, do? people is the move to stop, you know, for a couple seconds and really just, like, be able to calmly drink your water? Or maybe you just, like, come in at, like, a really slow jog. Or maybe you skip them altogether. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I need advice in this realm.
6: Yeah, me too, because I know I at least slowed down a little, but it still wasn't slow enough for me to get a lot of water in. I got, you know, a few sips in before I dunked that sucker. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I do think a half marathon's a weird distance, right? Because in a distance like a marathon, it's 100 percent probably worth it to slow down a little. But yeah, I don't know how I feel like a half marathon is in that weird spot where you still need to be going really fast through those. Probably. Maybe I'm very wrong.
5: And then the finish of the race was super exciting, too. It's really great. You like turn off the pooter and then um, and then New Belgium Brewery is right there. And there's just like this line of people cheering and like the big finish line. And I'm going to be real. I thought I was for sure going to throw up like the last two miles. I had this like wave of nausea hit me. And so by the time I saw the finish line, I was like, OK, come on. My main goal was to get there, you know, before I threw up. And so I cross the finish line, and I'm just immediately, like, hobbling my way over to, like, this grassy area on the side, like, (laughs) determined to not throw up in the middle of the finish line. Um, And I kind of lean over there and, like... Basically, dry heave. <laughs> this is gross. I don't think there's anything in my stomach, but I just sat there and was, like, dazed and nauseous. And I feel like there's this really particular feeling at the end of races where you just become, like, a cranky toddler. <laughs> my friends, Tatum, and our other friend came over to, like, congratulate me, and I was kind of just like... <laughs> the two essential features of the Horse Tooth Half Marathon are the giant hills at the beginning and the beer at the end. Mm-hmm. So... Tatum wanted to go grab a beer. It was so packed inside of New Belgium. And I (laughs) laid down on the ground, almost in the fetal position outside, with my jacket on, (laughs) waiting for Tatum to get her beer. I might as well have been, like, sucking my thumb. I was in quite a mental state. It was also still, like, really windy, which just added to my whole uh, crabby toddler demeanor.
6: Yeah, for a while I remember finishing the race and like Corey said, all I wanted to do was like curl up and be warm. But it was so hard to be warm (laughs) while sitting outside.
5: I feel like when you finish a race you just have like so many needs (laughs) and it's really hard for you to meet them yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like the simplest things. I'm like, okay, now put on my clothes, now go to the bathroom. And it's all like really slow and intentional. You have to like focus a lot. And then I'm like laying on the ground. I'm like, I'm so thirsty. And then Preston went and grabbed water for me. Bless him.
6: I know. Oh, and then, you know, I'm always thinking I should eat, but like my stomach never wants to eat right away. Oh man, I was a little bold going right for the beer and that was fine. (laughs) But
5: that was in the spirit of the race. Yeah, you had to. Yeah, one criticism I did have of the race was the food for the runners at the end. They didn't have a vegetarian option, Mm. which was kind of a bummer for me. And also, I imagine a lot of other runners in Fort Collins who try to eat plant-based. But I will say, I got three tortillas from the food station still, Uh and I downed those
6: suckers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Tortillas are easy, I think. Yeah, I know Corey and I had... This portable microphone that CSU that KCSU graciously let us borrow for this event and our hope was to interview people after this race to get their experiences and it took us embarrassingly long amount of time post race to just feel okay enough to interview people so we got a few really great interviews. There's not a ton, because by the time we felt good enough, people were already packing up. But it was really exciting still to have those microphones and be able to talk to some of the people who were out there competing and volunteering on April 10th.
5: Yeah, we really had to talk ourselves into doing these interviews yeah. um, and recover so that we were mentally well enough to engage with strangers.
6: <laughs> yeah, that was a big thing.
5: But yeah, it was really cool to be able to talk to other people. And we wanted to get you guys other perspectives on the Horsetooth Half Marathon. So here they are. This first interview is with a runner and a volunteer at the race.
7: And
5: um, My name's Rosa. Samantha. OK, so just to start, why did you participate in Horsetooth Half today?
7: Um, So I'm from Scotland. Um, I came here a couple weeks ago. I'm doing um, a placement at CSU Vet Hospital. And I've been involved in the Colorado running community since coming here as a way to like make friends. Um, and this is kind of like a, a fun landmark um, and like for me to do whilst i'm here so yeah yeah it seems like a great way to get connected and you volunteered at the race today what made you decide to do that
2: um i volunteered because i like to see the fastest people finishing the race so i like to volunteer at the finish line it's just really rewarding building the barricade and everything because when you're participating in a race you don't see all that done
5: so would you recommend it to other people volunteering
7: definitely yeah uh, did you have any goals going into today's race? Um, the main thing was to get up the hills at the start. I had heard that um, it was a pretty steep race and I've never really done a half marathon as hilly. So yeah, I'm just happy to finish it and happy with my time, which is a bonus as well. So yeah. What got you through the hills today? Um, probably like the good views, the good weather, the people around me and just thinking that like after I've done the hills, it's going to be downhill and flat. <laughs> You mentioned good weather. Did the wind bother you at all? Yeah, it was kind of like in my favor at one point and then obviously against me at another point. Um but yeah, I'm from Scotland and it's pretty windy there. Um, so it wasn't like it wasn't too out of the blue, but it was pretty windy. <laughs> Look out for more runners
5: of Fort Collins episodes. We'll be interviewing more local runners and covering more local races and just keeping you connected to our running community. Hey, it's DJ Sang and you're listening to ninety point five KCSU Fort Collins you
3: My name is Eliza Drochard. This is your RMR Sports Support. In women's softball, the team is 14-23, and 23, losing all three games to Fresno State this weekend. They will be playing against Nevada at home this weekend. In track and field, the team took part in the Doug Max Invitational hosted by your CSU Rams and took 22 first-place finishes and 40-plus podium finishes. They are competing in the Fresno Invitational this week. In women's golf, the team took 8th out of 9th in the Mountain West Championship, and in men's golf, they took part in the Ping BYU Cougar Classic and took 3rd. They go to the Mountain West Championship this weekend. In women's tennis, the team is 14-7, and seven, and they won their last four matches against Boise State, Utah State, Wyoming, and Nevada. They'll be playing in the Mountain West Tournament starting on Thursday. If you're interested in any last-minute CSU events, you can go to csurams.evenu.net to get your tickets for the last couple home games that we have left before our season ends. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. Hey, I'm Ellie Shannon. And I'm Portia Cook. And we just went to the Fort
8: Collins Music Experiment
1: this past weekend in Fort Collins. FOCO MX is a two-day music festival that celebrates live music in northern Colorado. This year, the festival was April 22nd through 23rd and featured more than 300 plus Colorado bands.
8: Over 30 venues were used for the event, including many outdoor stages. Foco MX happened during Local Music Appreciation Month, which occurs from April 1st through 30th and is funded by the City of Fort Collins Fort Fund.
1: Foco MX was presented by the Fort Collins Music Association, or Foco MA, as well as Odell Brewing. This was the 12th year that Fort Collins Music Experiment took place, and it has become a cherished community tradition. The bands were diverse and
8: featured an array of music, including musicians Julia Kirkwood. Kirkwood has performed at many prestigious venues in Colorado, including New West Fest and even opened for Bonnie Rayett.
1: She can play guitar, ukulele, keyboards, and piano, as well as violin with her school orchestra. Let's check out the sample that KCSU's music director, Bridget Bandell, got from Kirkwood's performance at The Exchange.
7: What if I don't
1: know?
8: Wood's performance was beautiful and soulful, and listeners at the exchange really enjoyed it. Another band that drew in crowds was Tongue Bite, an electric and upbeat
1: band. The six-person indie rock band is made up of JJ Maestas, bassist Ben Eberil, guitarist Daniel Geller, drummer Diego Lucero, percussionist E. Lyon Xavier, and saxophonist Bo
8: Brooks. The band is originally from Aurora, Colorado, and members play together as a jazz combo for Eagle Crest High School.
1: In 2017, Tunbite became an official band. This small sample that Bridget Bandel got showcases the upbeat music they brought to Fort Collins. <laughs>
8: That's all we can show you from FOCO MX, but if you're interested in getting involved, make sure to visit FOCOMX.FOCOMA.org. Anyone
1: can volunteer for the two-day festival, and they're always looking for volunteers for the next year. Volunteers also get free admission to many of the venues. Thanks for listening to our updates on FOCO MX. I'm Ellie Shannon. And I'm Portia Cook, and we'll be right back with Tech News. This is Ellie Shannon with your tech news. Netflix has lost more than 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. This is the company's first drop in customers in more than a decade. Netflix blames the losses on factors such as stronger competition, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, and password sharing. According to NPR News, Netflix shared a letter to shareholders stating the company relied on password sharing early on, but that there are now an estimated 100 million households sharing passwords. Netflix announced last month it wouldn't ban password sharing, but would charge for it instead. For $2.99, users can add up to two profiles. Customers did not react well to this, and it will take a year to run tests and begin enforcing the change. Netflix forecast it would add 2.5 million customers this quarter, but lost 200,000 customers. That figure excludes the loss of 700,000 customers in Russia because of the country's invasion of Ukraine. President Biden's administration called for Congress's help in letting more law enforcement agencies access drone tracking systems on Monday. The White House's outline of what it calls the Domestic Counter Unmanned Aircraft Systems National Action Plan called for Congress to reauthorize the authority to track drones given to organizations like the Departments of Homeland Security, Justice, Defense, and State, according to Mitchell Clark of The Verge. The government use of counter-drone systems has become more controversial in recent months after a Ukrainian government official asked drone maker DJI to cut off Russia's access to its aeroscope drone location system. At this point, these are recommendations made by the administration— no laws have been passed or are in the process of being passed. That's all for your tech news. Thanks for listening. This is Ellie Shannon on KCSU on 90.5 FM. Now, here's the weather.
0: Today was warm and partly cloudy with a high in the mid-70s and a low in the mid-40s. Wednesday, expect almost identical temperatures with about a 10% chance of rain in the evening. Moving into Thursday skies will stay partly cloudy with a high in the mid-70s and a low around 45 degrees, with about a 20% chance of rain around 7 in the evening. And for Friday, tune into the Rocky Mountain Review this Thursday afternoon from 4 to 5, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock for KCSU News, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And
1: that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music
0: that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David Demuth, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, London Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Vandell, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie.
1: And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener.
6: Thank you.